Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Inner 1990s, the podcast where our dog is not going to stop barking this week, no matter how many times we bait him. So uh, it's another dog intro. It's a problem when you have a smart dog is that they are also prone to complex neuroses. Calling him a smart dog makes him sound like he's connected to the Internet of Things. Isn't he? Yeah, he is a data dog. Well, he's just going to keep going, so we're just going to have to deal with it. Hey, it's our Valentine's Day episode. Cool. First ever. I don't know what else we'll do after this album, honestly. This uh, may be our only Valentine's Day episode. I've got a short album about love by the Divine Comedy. We could do that one. It's not very good, but, you know, it would be a Valentine's Day album. Is it not an EP with that title? Uh, It's technically got a full album release. It's weird. Okay. All right, well, we are only doing one album this week, though technically it's three albums worth of songs. And so fucking long. Very long. Um, we're doing uh, 69 Love Songs by the Magnetic Fields from 1999. Um, this was their return album after four years off um, between this and the previous album, Get Lost, which is currently number two on our list. This is also the first time we've done a second album by a band that we've we've ranked already. So um, it's been a minute. So yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been a little while. We I, we can open the door for some repeats now, as long as they're not super recent episodes. Yeah. So sixty nine whole songs. Well, songs is generous to some of these. Yeah, experimental music love. I I, I hesitate to call a song. That that was put in because he's like, oh, fuck, I only have 68 songs. Experimental <laughs> music, love. Well, no, if you read the booklet, he said he had at least another 50 songs that were not included on the album. So Jesus that was a conscious, a conscious inclusion. Well, maybe you should have picked something better. <laughs> well, you can say that about a few of these songs. But, mm. um, this one's going to be, I'm really curious to see how we end up ranking this because I'm, we'll get to it when we get to it, but I'm. I have complex feelings on this album. It, it's like you said, it's <clears throat> it's extremely long. Um, clocks in at what around three hours? Two hours and fifty-two minutes. Yeah, so almost three hours. Which is almost. I mean, most of our our episodes do albums that are maybe forty minutes long. So this was a hefty price of entry. Yeah, I mean, we've we've bitched a lot on the show about albums being too long and. I, for a for a three disc collection, it's maybe a little long, but I mean, he tried hard to keep it tolerable. You know, most of these songs are under three minutes. There's only a few that break that. I mean, anytime Stephen Stephen Merritt does a quirky project, is I guess is the only way I can determine this. It's like he he just he goes right to the wire of what you'll accept. And he definitely did that here. Right. And I think that to some extent, this is the first album where he did do a twerky project, unless you count the Gothic Archies. Uh, the Gothic Archies would have come after this, though. The first album was before this. Okay. Yeah, right. I think I don't I don't think about the first album. I think about like the Handler album. And right. that was very much after this. Right. So the original idea for 69 Love Songs was to be 100 Love Songs. And he realized that even if every song was two minutes long, that would be, you know, over two hours. Well, uh, over three hours. <laughs> um, so that quickly had to get whittled down. And his idea for this was to be like a live, like musical production, basically. Um, along the lines, he quoted, he quoted some in the, so there's a really good, if you bought the three CD box set, for this, there's a really good um, booklet with it, which is, I mean, booklet is is underselling how long it is. Um, a, a long interview with uh, Daniel Handler, who plays accordion on this album, and is also much better known as Lemony Snicket, who wrote the, uh, the series of Unfortunate Events series of books, and also who plays in the band The Gothic Archies, whose second album was based on a series of Unfortunate Events. So, yeah, he interviewed Stephen Merritt, and it's just like a fantastic um, resource for information on this on this album. Um, so, yeah, that was the original. The original plan was for it to be a hundred love songs, and for it to be like a live review. And 
one of the ideas that he, that uh, Stephen Merritt had was to have every song be sung by a different drag queen, and only the one who got the most applause would get paid. Uh, and actually, would... I don't think it was every song would be a different drag queen, but there would be many drag queens because he said he was concerned. You know, he was like, you can't have just like one or two people singing that many songs in a live setting and have it not get really boring. Yeah. Um. So, and his uh, his mother talked him out of that. Actually, uh, his mother was right because at the time that would have occurred, drag was nowhere near as prominent as it is now, and that would have killed people. Like, that would have been, I'm putting all this time and effort into your show, and you're only going to pay one of us? Fuck you. Like, drag was very much, I make my living at the bar. Right. So that that's a that was a bad idea. Um, I mean, it's a funny idea. It, oh, it's, it's, that's it's definitely also, funny. It, it's also a bad idea. So also, I think he could do it now if he wanted to do sort of like a weird faux reality TV show where everyone thinks that that's the competition and that they're actually all getting paid. But you could make it in this like surreal, this very surreal like reality TV bit now if you really wanted to. Yeah, or do you know this is a this is going to be a thing that the the magnetic fields have never been compared to before? But or do what the UFC does and give a bonus to the guys who have the most exciting fight on a show, and you know, yeah, um, but still pay everybody because don't don't make artists work for free. Come on. And now we have Drag Race. Well, yeah, get paid in exposure. I, actually, I, don't, I have no idea if the contestants on drag race get paid but. they're competing for money they can also win uh tips throughout the competition but it usually goes to the people who end up winning anyway so mm -hmm. it's not really doesn't really matter but then like that's a platform so that really is getting paid in exposure because you you run drag race and then you just okay i'm leaving kansas city now i'm too big for kansas city you that kind of stuff all right so this was also um a real turning point for the magnetic field sound mm-hmm because prior to this, they'd been primarily a synth pop group. Um, their first two albums, uh, the Charm, not the Charm of the Highway Strip, uh, Wayward Bus and Distant Plastic Trees, both had, they had some acoustic instrumentation, but it was always a heavy backing of drum machines and synthesizers, which is just kind of a function of when you're one guy like Stephen Merritt, what's the most efficient an affordable way to make music it's to do it with a synthesizer and a drum machine you know it, it's just it, it's realistic at a, in a time when especially at a time when you still had to go into a recording studio to record an album mm -hmm. that you were that you plan on releasing um i mean there are there are, there's footage on youtube if you want to look for it of early 90s magnetic field shows and it's basically the same lineup of musicians that play on this album so he would kind of do the albums in the studio on mostly synthesizers and then have a live band. And, you know, the same same lineup minus the singers. You know, it's uh, Sam Duvall who plays cello and Claudia Johnson is the drummer. And, you know, I, I can't remember who else was involved, but yeah. So look those up. It's it's interesting to see Stephen Merritt like being like 20 years old. <laughs> He's he's been a perpetual forty in my mind. Yeah, I mean he's still a he's still an old man at that age, but it's he's he's much thinner. All right, so there's no real easy way to talk about an album with this many songs. So I think we're kind of just gonna focus a lot on like our favorite songs because there's a lot to pick from, and then like our least favorites <laughs> and see where that takes us. Mm -hmm. Um, so just to hit you with it right off the bat, what's your favorite song in this album? Uh, epitaph from my heart. Okay, you 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 made you made your choice because before we started recording, it didn't sound like you were entirely sure. Oh well, no, uh, I was very sure about that, but I also uh, love the death of Ferdinand uh, de Saussure, and I've lost where all the songs are. Apparently, we are the king of the boudoir. Yes, you you mentioned that one last week. Well, I mentioned in an operetta last week. Yeah, but you alluded to there being a song on this album that you loved that sounded a lot like it on Operata, <laughs> which is that song. It is that it is that song, yes. And I, I'm a sucker for anything that has a uh, 
spangly harpsichord or anything that is invoking a harpsichord. Yeah, and and there's some songs on the album that you can really see the roots of the idea of it being a musical. Yes. Um, and that is one of the most <laughs> most apparent ones. I mean, you can just you can feel the uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. Yes, that's who I'm trying to think of. Fuck's sake. Yeah, um, you like, can really, there's like big Gilbert and Sullivan energy on that one. And those are operettas, not musicals. Uh, well. There is a difference. It, yeah, uh, I mean. Musicals are an inferior art form. Just going to put that out there. Musicals <laughs> are an inferior art form. Uh, musicals are, I'll just stop myself there. <laughs> I like opera and I like operettas. I don't like musicals. And I my favorite musical is The Fucking Producers, which is a mockery of musicals. So I I like some songs from My Fair Lady, which it almost counts more as an operetta the way they wrote it. It's cuz it's yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's another musical that that I secretly like and i can't think of what it is right now cabaret's fine too i perform stuff from cabaret uh any basically anything that was written uh by that fucking fan of the opera motherfucker yeah the cat's motherfucker yeah fuck just i'm not even gonna give him give him his name andrew mcweber <laughs> okay uh, see i shouldn't remember what it was <laughs> i couldn't either but then i was just gonna be mean that i remembered as andrew Lewis. i hate musicals a lot but i think i actually might hate theater kids more <laughs> well you married one so you were more of a technical theater kid than a performer theater kid though. oh I, I was a performer theater kid i know i but i you were you did like lighting and shit though well, I did that because I hated all the other people who were, you know, doing... theater kids. Yeah, so, yeah, because they sucked. So my senior year of high school, I made a uh, well. One, I would torture people in the audience with the Gothic Archies, because that's who I am. And then I w I did a play adaptation of the short story Herbert West Reanimator, and ruined every white shirt in the entire uh, costume closet because I had blood effects. So that's my legacy. <laughs> and okay, so we we got on a tangent there, but um, I think my favorite song is probably it's really hard because there's a bunch of really good songs on here, but um, it, uh, no one will ever love you. I think is is my absolute favorite. Um, it's the one that kind of sounds like Wicked Game. Mm -hmm. um, which I don't like that song that much, but the the sort of what most people would probably call the inferior knockoff version of Wicked Game, I think, is just brilliant. There's just something to the way Merritt writes that just brings songs alive. Yeah, well, and so uh, Dan Handler pointed this out when he when he talked about the drag queen idea. He was like that. He was like that that sort of hints at a cruelty that lies behind most of your songs. <laughs> And which is really true. I mean, we talked on when we reviewed Get Lost, we talked about, uh, you know, the line, I'd like to beat you black and blue being essentially a song where he sings about domestic abuse favorably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and which he does on here, too, in a way, um, the song Meaningless, when he's like, if some dim bulb should say we were in love in some way, kick all his teeth in for me. And if you feel like keeping on kicking, feel free, like... It's always jarring when he just advocates for violence in his songs. Yeah, I mean, he has a very sinister edge, and it just it's there. Right, but like in on the Gothic Archies albums, the sinister edge is like playful. Oh yeah, it's a cartoon. Like Shipwrecked is a funny, funny song about that technically is about a horribly abusive relationship. And you and really so, so it comes off like just uh, like obsession until you until he goes again and you're like oh no right um, and so meaningless is also a fantastic fucking song um, I think that well yeah I was gonna try to make a statement about like classifying the songs on here that are my favorites but I don't really think there's a whole lot of that is 
really in common between them. I mean, Epitaph for My Heart has a similar feeling to, like, it sounds like the same band as No One Will Ever Love You. Yeah, and Epitaph for My Heart has a, has a weird side sound to I Thought You Were My Boyfriend. It's not nearly as plotting or, you know, sad as that song, but it is. There's just a, when when he's getting in a zone with what he wants his lyrics to be, these songs take on a similar similar feel. Because all of his, like, poppier songs have a very airy intro and a very clicky percussion. And all of his darker songs tend to have more plodding sounds. His witty songs all have nonsense backing tracks or a, or a harpsichord. And it's just, I don't know. He does a lot of, something I've always liked about Stephen Merritt is he does a lot of stuff where it's really hard to tell what instrument he's playing. Mm -hmm. I, I am fucking obsessed with the song Summer Lies and what the fuck instrument is <laughs> playing the melody in that song. I have asked every musician I know. No one has any fucking idea. I have no fucking idea. I like, I, I know that I will die not knowing what that instrument was and I fucking hate it. It drives me insane. You can always ask him. How? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure he takes letters, extravagantly weepy letters. <laughs> Maybe if you sent him a letter with your your wax seal on it, he would he would answer that question if he even remembers. But you feel anyway. You get that a lot on this album. Of you know, it, it's it's hard sometimes to tell what instruments uh, what instruments he's using. I mean, there's there's stuff like a um nylon string guitar run through a chorus pedal and shit on here oh yeah yeah <laughs> like there's somewhere i can pick it out and be like oh that's really that's really clever that you did that and uh others where i'm just like i have no fucking idea what's being played here i mean there's a hair dryer on one of the songs i think um i don't remember which it uh it's one of the accordion songs it might be my sentimental melody but it's like right before the music starts you hear a hairdryer click on and it <laughs> just runs through the whole song um and he that's another thing is like several times throughout that interview in the booklet uh handler brings up like oh like you had to have played this one live right and in the studio and he's like no we it, it's not we didn't do that <laughs> it's, it's still we all played separately and <laughs> then mixed it together yeah, on the song I'm Sorry I Love You, which is like sounds a lot like Bo Diddley, um, or that kind of not early blues, but kind of like early blues rock. Mm -hmm. um, it, that was one where the, he was like, that had to have been a live band, you know, everybody playing together in the studio. He was like, no, just record room tone. It's amazing what that does. <laughs> I, see, I have always appreciated that about Stephen Merritt. He's just like, no, I just did a thing. Yeah. But you could have possibly no. I just I just do a thing that I want to do. It's fine. And that song's a really good example of how this album sometimes makes me like genres of music I'm not crazy about. Because like that's a real like I really don't like that kind of that style of music. But that song is fucking great. Um, the chorus on it is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And if it didn't have that chorus, I wouldn't care about it because the verses are just nothing to me but like the chorus is so good um and just so hooky which is again not you don't really associate blues rock with hooky but man it is on that song yeah um i'm a, so then there are also the ones that are really kind of like schmaltzy musical but in a good way like uh the night you can't remember is fantastic mm -hmm. and um zebra for sure nothing matters when we're dancing mm -hmm. like those are both kind of like again you can definitely see those being performed as part of a musical but they're so so good and yeah zebra is also one of those and it's I'm not a big fan of that song, but it is really funny. Oh, um, I think what makes that song for me is that I can see Handler playing the accordion because I've seen him play the accordion. Yeah. Uh, as, as Lemony Snicket. Uh, but he, yeah, he's got a very aggressive accordion style. It's very similar to uh, the lead singer of the Tiger Lilies. I can never remember his name. Oh, yeah. I can't help you on that one. Brian something. So, yeah, I think that, like, the comedy of the lyrics is, is really strong on here, too. Like, much 
the reason my feelings about this album are complicated is this is one of those like hipster classics, you know, Mm -hmm. a pitchfork, a pitchfork classic. Did you look up the pitchfork rating for this album? I assume it was 10 out of 10. I haven't looked it up. up. So, but I was already, you know, as we discussed when we first talked about magnetic fields, I was a fan of them fairly early on because of the adventures of Pete and Pete using their music. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I was looking forward to this album. I was like, oh shit, finally a new Magnetic Fields album. I can't fucking wait. Because I got Get Lost more or less right when it came out, um, like just shortly after it came out. And so, you know, I was looking forward to this. I was hyped for it. And it was not at all what I was expecting because it didn't doesn't really sound much like any of their previous work. And um, I still loved it at the time. But also it was kind of where everyone else got on board <laughs> you know not to and the, i'm sound i'm the one sounding like a hipster here like i liked them before they were cool but like it is the the place where the band blew up so to speak um oh, not, yeah. that, not that they're a household name now but it, like their fandom got so much bigger after this yeah if there's a, if there was a smug music kid in the early 2000s they, this was the album they heard yeah and i feel like I, like i don't think by any stretch that steven merritt became more smug because of the success of this album i think he's pretty much been at a steady level of that throughout his career but i do feel like he kind of kept trying to recreate the feel of this album lyrically yeah this got a 9.0 on pitchfork okay the guardian gave it a perfect 10 though i'm I'm surprised pitchfork restrained themselves um and so like i kind of I fell off the magnetic fields pretty hard after this album. I mean, I still listened to the stuff they put like, well, okay. I was like ready for I to come out. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that album's really mediocre. Like, I think there's a few great songs on it and a whole lot of stuff that I couldn't tell you what's on the album. And just every album since then, I feel like it's just kind of gotten, I've just cared less and less about it to like the point that I haven't even listened to the most of the more recent ones. Like, I tried to listen to 50 Song Memoir, and it just, I was like... Uh, I wouldn't. It, it Every listened. song I listened to was, like, not very good on that one. No, it's very plodding and sad, because it was a, it's a song about every year in his life. Right. At the time that he wrote it. And so that's a whole mess that's not what you're going to get for the rest of his work. Uh, the album Distortion, I quite liked. Yeah, there's some there's some good stuff on that one, but also some really unlistenable stuff because it's an album where he put distortion on well he actually didn't put distortion on every instrument they played the songs through a big loud overdriven loudspeaker and recorded them that way and then love on the bottom of the sea has some interesting stuff because your girlfriend's face and andrew and drag are like two miserable songs but they're amazing songs but yeah i feel like they almost got get into self-parody because i feel like the comedy on this album like i think reno dakota is really funny um i hate the way that song sounds yeah and i love that's one of my absolute favorite songs on the album it it is entirely how she sings it It is there is a a vocal trick where you just to make that very uh, And, and i and i love the way she sings it i can't help it even though i feel like she's pushing her range it's not even pushing her range. It's just the way she's holding her mouth. It's it's just not. I, I don't. I can't. I can't with it. Yeah. It's very musical theater. Um, I think absolutely cuckoo is really funny. It is good. I mean, it's really darkly funny because it's very clearly like a stalker, a stalker whose friends are going to help him stalk people. But it, it's it's still funny and the absolute like most hilarious song that he ever wrote is yeah yeah. Which, again, is just pitch black, but so mm-hmm. fucking funny. I, I really like Chicken with its head cut off. Yeah, um, that's, the, I mean, that's like his voice is what makes that funny, though. When, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good song, too, but, like, the lyrics themselves aren't that hilarious. It's just his completely, like, him just doing his, like, lurch from the Adams Family voice on lines that should have some emotion to them. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's, it's like Lurch goes to the Grand Ole Opry. Like that's yeah. that's what that song is. And I love it for that. He he actually has like this this soft country and western vibe in him, but he doesn't want to let out. Yeah, I mean the charm of the highway strip is 
pretty fucking country. Mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of country synth pop. It was the original uh, Fultronic in a way. Moments yeah. reference of the week. And I, I like that album too. So obviously, I, I like that album a lot more than Charm of the Highway Strope. But hey. Yeah, let's see. Some other, I think Luckiest Guy on the Lower East Side is amazing. Oh, that that's such a catchy song. Mm-hmm. And the the lyrical the lyrical distortion, like where he just like alters the line enough, you're like, oh damn. And, and, and that note at the end where he holds a note for like 16 bars mm-hmm. is pretty amazing. Um, let's pretend we're bunny rabbits and get in the fucking sea. Yeah, not a fan of that one. Um... I am a big fan of When My Boy Walks Down the Street. Hell yes. It kind of sounds... if There's a Magnetic Fields EP called House of Tomorrow that's a little bit obscure. Not not super obscure, but it sounds more like that EP mm-hmm. to me. It, it's weird because I think that the songs on this album that sound like a previous Magnetic Fields album all sound like uh, Distant Plastic Trees, mm. that which is... Maybe my absolute least favorite Magnetic Fields album. It, it's weird because when Stephen Merritt does experimental music, I tend to find it just absolutely unlistenable. Like I Shatter. Like I Shatter, which I would have sworn, he he doesn't say this in the interview. Um, they actually compare it to Laurie Anderson, which I, I kind of see, but not that much. It sounds to me like the song Weeping by Throbbing Gristle. Like it's done very similarly to that. With yeah, the, that's more accurate. And bad, like but the the vocals, at least on "Weeping," as, as impossible to listen to as that song is, it just because of the raw, naked, embarrassing emotion of it. Mm-hmm. It like "I Shatter" has that vocal effect that I just hate. I, I don't actually know what that effect is, but he uses it twice on this album. Mm-hmm. He uses it on that song and on the "There Are Two Kinds of People" song, which yeah. is my other least favorite song on the album. Yeah, both those songs are absolute misses. That's why I said he could have uh, put better songs on here. He could have completely skipped the song that's not a song and the two really bad songs. Yeah, I would much rather... I mean, I, I get why Experimental Music Love is on it, because it's like 20 seconds long. Oh, and yeah. so it's a, a song with very little... Like, It's another... It's it's It fills a numbered track while also being very short. <laughs> But it's also one of those things that makes me stop listening to this album. Like it, it's like there are there are points in in on every disc where I'm just like, I have had enough, and then I just go off and do something else. And that that one at least is far enough down that it shouldn't. It's not as much of a problem. But ugh. yeah, I feel like to some extent the bad songs are concentrated on the third disc, which is. Some of my favorite ones are on that disc. Yeah, right, like, it's that that one's the really hot or cold disc. Like the first disc is almost all good. The second disc is kind of evenly distributed between really good and meh, and the third disc is like either great or bad. Yeah, because it's like Busby Berkeley dreams. I'm a fan of that underwear. Oh, yeah. I'm a fan of. I really like underwear. <clears throat> yeah, I don't care for that one. I mean, it's okay, but. And then, but then acoustic guitar, I could live without. Oh, I, I love acoustic guitar. It's so sad. <laughs> but like in a really, it, it's it's the notebook sad or something. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the notebook, so I have no idea if that's an apt comparison. I have no idea. I don't, I don't watch, I don't. Uh... You don't watch oddly cry movies? Well, I don't, I don't engage with Nicholas Sparks. Oh, well, well, I'm just using that as an example of a movie where people say it makes them ugly cry. You know, I ugly cry at like the opening parts of Wreck-It Ralph. So <laughs> like there's this like that scene where like they're entering the video game world and I'm just like. <gasps> so what about some dark horses, like ones that maybe people don't think about that much, but you think are pretty good? Uh, I think the death of Ferdinand uh, de Saussure yeah. is... Uh, very good. And I think I feel like people liked that one though. I don't know. I never heard anyone talk about it. Uh, For me, it's "Love in the Shadows." Yeah, I'm not super big on that one, but it is a good song. Yeah, it's so tense and weird, and it's like I've, I was listening to the Breeders today, and as much as I liked them, sometimes Kim Deal's lyrics really annoy me because 
they really hint at something like dark and interesting, but not enough. Like there's, they just barely hint at anything. And then it's like, you catch one line and you're like, wow, that line really makes me want to know. makes me want to dig into what the song is about. And then you look up the lyrics and it's just, you can't get any idea of what, the, what it's about. And I feel like love in the shadows. Like I have a pretty good idea of what that song is about. And it's really fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I mean, cause it just seems like a love song about like, horrible deformed monster people like finding love but it like when he's you know at the end when he's like don't laugh i think you're beautiful and the you know the first line of the album is like the man with no nose it just seems really like you just get this idea of of like these deformed people like going off into a dark alley at night to where they can't see each other <laughs> like mm-hmm. Uh, Papa was a rodeo. I think it's very good. Um, it's a it's an Orville Peck song, uh, but it's I think it would be better done by Orville Peck, who was probably like twelve when this came out. So, but yeah, it, it's he gets country. Yeah. It, um. And speaking of folk music, I think Abigail Abigail Bell of Colronan is another one that I don't really hear people talk about, but I love that song. Mm-hmm. It's really very nice composed, and and he doesn't really lean into the folk gimmick, even with uh, we we nay we bear yo me beget. Like he doesn't really lean into it, even though it's there. The lyrical trickery is there. It's- yeah, I mean, the, I don't know what the like lyrical structure is, but like I've like I've heard that same that I'll turn into this well I'll turn into this like it's it's I guess it's a like a Irish or Scottish folktale mm-hmm. but I don't know I don't know what the origin of it is if it's just a traditional like poetry game or something I think I, I'm probably more... sounding I'm sure somebody listening knows exactly what it is in a streaming but like I've heard it used a lot but I don't know exactly where it comes yeah, from Yeah it's it's a it's a traditional music like game is the best way to play it it's like mm-hmm. because the lyrics can change as long as you have the structure of the song yeah uh, shanties and things do this a lot too so you just sit there usually like in a pub scene where like you would get like a bunch of old irish dudes in a pub just like singing songs because oral tradition is is everyone it's, it's like the the saying is like everyone in ireland is a poet is a poet it's because all of this was oral tradition and a lot of it was brought into th- through song uh so I, this week I got really messed up with the song Come Out You Black and Tans and I now know the history of that song. I heard it first with stage pirates singing it but I heard the original version finally and it makes way more sense because the guy's singing about his dad getting going outside and getting real pissed off at the black and tans. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So, <laughs> right. and so he this, invoked some of that with uh, that. Yeah, and I'm sure in the like traditional version they don't sing about i'll turn into a hydrogen bomb or i'll turn into a black hole (laughs) yeah um let's see what else so like a few more like really great ones before we get on to ranking it um i i think that um all my little words is is really fucking great although that's the song people know from this album i see i thought the book of love was the one people know because peter gabriel covered the book of love apparently it's like the worst thing ever too like he just totally doesn't get that like the song is supposed to be kind of tongue-in-cheek that's what i mean you get when you like if if Stephen merritt doesn't hand select you to sing his music <laughs> you're not gonna sing it right right because i mean the fucking first line is the book is lo- the book of love is long and boring no one can lift the damn thing like how do you hear that and then think this is a deeply serious love song uh, you gotta be peter gabriel i guess it, because it's not, I mean, it's not a funny song outside of that line, but clearly, like, you know, it's, it's where music comes from. Some of it's just transcendental. Some of it's just really dumb. Like, it, I don't, you can't take that too seriously. Well, it's it's the thesis of this this entire album. Sort of. Right. It, it's, I think that would have been like your, your starting the show song. <laughs> Uh, Sweet Love and Man is the one for me that's like just an amazing, amazing like songwriting achievement. Mm-hmm. That that chorus is just beautiful, especially at the end when when it's like soaring a little bit more. 
But oh, your leash is too long. It's an honorable mention for just being. Oh yeah, silly. we have to mention that one. It's very silly. I I don't love that one, but it's fine. Uh, if you don't cry is also like really great. That's another of my absolute favorites. One of the few like just pure synth pop songs on the album. So yeah, this is a a big one, and because we're only doing one album this week, it's hard to know when to take a break. But I think this would be a great place to insert break music and then come back and talk about closing thoughts and how we're going to rank it. Yes. All right. Well, here's uh, here's your break music, and we'll come back and talk more about the magnetic fields. We are back. Wrapping up, I think it's probably good to talk about how like how influential this was for better or worse on the next few years of music. Because I don't think this can be credited with like kicking off the freak folk craze. Because no. some of that was probably already happening to some extent. But he does go a whole hog into like banjos and like the aluminum acoustic guitar the dobro guitar the you know where it's like a it has the metal resonator on on the soundboard on top mm -hmm. and just a lot of like appalachian folky kind of kind of instruments and that stuff became way bigger in the years immediately following this album yeah um, and i think this had a, a big impact on bands like the decemberists like yeah they they do more narrative narratives than Stephen Merritt has ever done but he but there's a very Merritty vibe to especially early Decemberists it, yeah um I mean he, he's pretty narrative I mean his songs tend to tell pretty specific stories but he would never really do the Infanta no I mean he just doesn't do a lot of like a lot of songs that are longer than three minutes yeah and when he does, it it's stuff like Oahu on the second, sixth album, where it's like 13 minutes of like synth noodling at the at the end of a three minute song. <laughs> or I guess it's like 10 minutes of synth noodling, because I think that song's like 13 minutes. But so, yeah, it, it's like I kind of credit this album a lot for indie music getting really insufferable for a few years. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like it's. And it's it's not Stephen Merritt's fault ultimately. Like it, it's he, hard he just to know puts ideas into the world, and if people abuse them, that's not his fault. Uh, right, uh, but I feel like he abused them to some extent after this. Well, then that's his fault. But it's also funnier when he does it, and more interesting when he does it because he knows the tricks yeah. better. It, no, it is. It, I I feel like this album is where everyone told everyone suddenly was talking about how clever he was, and he got. It was like the break from him being clever up until this point and then kind of too clever for his own good after this because yeah, well, I, I just don't think anything he's done under any band name since this has been anywhere near as good as the stuff he did before it all right so one future bible hero song is very good uh, yeah and it is uh drink nothing but champagne in which he jesus comes back and tells you to drink nothing but champagne then they confer with David Bowie, and then they resurrect Aleister Crowley to confirm that there is no water in hell, so they drink nothing but champagne. That song is fucking amazing. No, that song is really good. And I'm not saying there's nothing that's good. I just feel like basically everything he did up to this album, including As the Sixth and Future Bible Heroes, and maybe not so much the Gothic Archies, because I don't love that first Gothic Archies album, but but for the most part, he had very few misses from uh charm of the highway strip up until this and then kind of a whole lot after this um I, and that's my opinion I, i'm a little harsher on uh, the second future bible heroes album is is real good um but even i mean nowhere near as good as the first one so that's a that's a hard part for me in ranking this is, is like I have to, it's really hard, a lot harder than any other album we've done, I think, for me to get back in the headspace of, like, the first time I heard this album. Yeah, and it's a situation where I think we both know it's not going to be in the top ten. 
I think I think we can't put uh, it there. Oh, I mean, I think it absolutely has to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's way better than most of our top ten in a, an objective sense, even though it like. I mean, to me, there's a real, a real, like, I I definitely liked Get Lost more, but this is such an achievement. I mean, it's very much an achievement, but I I can't, I'm not going to, I don't love the idea of having two Magnetic Fields albums next to each other in the top 10 either. No, because it's going to be incredibly hard to break up that block. yeah. But I mean, I don't think that's a reason to rank it low, and I, and I definitely think it's top ten. I mean, I mean, I can't see putting this below Bloodletting, and I'm sorry about that because I know how much you love that album. But like, I I just think this, even trying to think of it in not because it's not fair to say, oh well, there's you know. 35 great songs on this album of 69 songs like then nothing else on the list will ever compete with it but like even as a percentage of like hits to misses and trying interesting stuff and succeeding and just writing great songs like so give me your ideal number um i mean my ideal would be three but I also don't love that, so I would probably say four. And just, like... I mean, because I don't feel terrible about putting Liberation above this, because I love that album so I, much. I think Liberation is slightly just more of a kick-it-up-kick-open-the-door kick situation. I mean, this is this definitely is an achievement. Liberation was a man coming into a sound, and, I, and when we get to Promenade, I'm going to have the same situation with you. And I think you understand that with Promenade, because it is... I mean, fuck, in the liner notes of Promenade, he is like, I will never write another album like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, Promenade is absolutely my favorite Divine Comedy album. So, yeah. I so. mean, the, like, the only one that comes close, really, for me is, well, like, Liberation and um, Bang Goes the Nighthood. Mm-hmm. Bang Goes the Nighthood. Oh, good. Yeah. And we can't we can't rank it on this show, unfortunately. But we have many. We have many Divine Comedy albums but, like, we can rank. I mean, just, like, again, to, to give away the future, like, I would rank Promenade above 69 Love Songs. I would too. For sure. So like, because I think I mean I would have to listen I haven't listened to Promenade in a while, but I, I feel like I love almost every song on that album, and I d- definitely don't love almost every song on this album. I don't feel bad putting it above philosophy of Momus because A, Momus will have have his day. You know. Mm-hmm. We're we're both huge fans, so like every Momus album just about will go in the top 10 except maybe <laughs> ultra conformist. And that's the one where we have a huge fight about mm-hmm. it. Um, it, and like, I, I do think this is more even than philosophy of Momus. I mean, this is like philosophy of Momus is like a failed concept album. And this is like the ultimate success of concept albums. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm willing to give you four. I, I was wary about putting it uh, in this two magnetic fields albums at the top ten, but yeah, I mean it, it's just it, I didn't want to do another magnetic fields album this soon, but I also really wanted to do this album for Val- for the Valentine's Day show. It, it, that was just a, an idea I had from the start, and maybe I should have waited another year. But I, um, no, I mean I, I I just I don't I don't see how it doesn't. I mean, yeah, we'll just have to deal with it for a while or just bring out the big guns and start ranking all of our favorite albums. <laughs> yeah, that might that might have to I mean, I just don't know how we're gonna dethrone XTC because like none such is really fucking good and it's Oh yeah. I mean I'm not in any hurry to I mean I, li- I listened to it again this week and was just like Yeah. <sighs> I listened to Holly Up on Poppy the other day and that's still one of my favorite songs of the nineties that I had never heard until this show. And I was I was like cleaning my office and was like rook rook and like <laughs> damn it Brooks real good. Uh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's, it's going to be weird for a little while, but it is. It's 2021. It's a little bit weird now. <laughs> I, I think it, I, I mean, it has to be top 10 and, and like, even though I have serious misgivings about its influence, I, I, that shouldn't count against it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I it, it is, a, it is a testament. It is, it is some, no one can really do this now and not be compared to Stephen Merritt. And like, oh, you're just doing a Stephen Merritt thing. 
Because that really, that is a that is a fucking death sentence when it comes to some albums. I've heard someone who was like, I was working on this thing, this guy who knew Stephen Merritt was like, you're just doing a Stephen Merritt thing. And I fucking canned the whole thing. And I'm like, don't let Stephen Merritt make you can your whole thing. You can <laughs> you can be inspired by it. And he was like, I've never listened to him as the problem. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, yeah. I, I Man, it, it's one of those things where like, if I had to get rid of a Magnetic Fields album, it would probably be this one, just for how many terrible albums it inspired and how much just wankery it inspired from, like, bloggers in the early 2000s. Well, this this album came out right at a time in which just wankery was diffusing. It was just dispersing through all hives of internet villainy, and it is just... I can't. I've never seen... I mean... For good reason, I think that Momus and Stephen Merritt get compared, and they're very similar figures. And I know that at least one of them probably hates to hear that comparison, but I, I just I've never heard anybody get wanky about Momus, except for people who hated him, who got wanky in their hatred of him. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Momus that you don't get wanky about him. And something about Stephen Merritt that you really, really get wanky about. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is like I think the just from the way that come off, Stephen Merritt always comes off as somewhat aloof and done with you, and that comes through in the music. Yeah, you, have it, you heard the story about him throwing a water bottle at a woman at a show because she wouldn't stop talking? That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Just so flung and, a full water bottle at a woman's head and screamed, "Shut the fuck up." Well, you know, shut the fuck up. Don't throw water balls at people. But <laughs> Momus has a very, like, it's not, it might not be your thing, but, like, that man is living his life. Like, everything he does is not designed to do anything more than be authentic to him. Like, he, he goes he goes in some directions with his art, and he himself is art now. Um, but it's different. And there's a little bit more joy to it, I think. There's, there's an authenticity to Momus that is a joy, and Stephen Merritt just seems like everything is a ball ache. And <laughs> and I like St- I like them both. They like my list of like best lyricists. It's like Momus and Stephen Merritt are tied. Uh, I mean, the two of them and Neil Hannon are basically like the three people whose lyrics I give any fucks about. Mm-hmm. Just be- again, because I came up on shoegaze and not paying any attention to lyrics, I just generally couldn't care less what you're singing about. It- but like the, those three are definite and to some extent like run the jewels also but uh, my 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 big four are Momus, Stephen Merritt, Neil Hannon and Ron Mail. Yeah, yeah. Ron Mail has amazing too. fucking lyrics. He's very funny. He's the, probably one of the funniest lyricists. It's just it doesn't always hit right. All right, so Oh yeah, so I should have mentioned this too the in talking about where this album like how this album hit the first time. So when this album released, I was dating someone who moved to Detroit. (laughs) And then this album came out right after, like the week after she moved. So talk about getting the right album at the right time. (laughs) Literally, literally laid in the first time I listened to this album, I put it on laid in my bed and cried while listening to it. But also laughed because the book of love is so fu- or not the book of love, yeah, oh yeah, is so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just absolutely perfect time. But but in some ways too, like I feel like that can't play into the ranking. Just like how much I hate some of the people who like got up their own ass about this album can't play into it. But anyway, that's our first and maybe last Valentine's uh, Valentine's episode, and we are gonna put. Uh, this at number four. Ever just think that maybe our podcast is just wankery? Oh, it absolutely is, but I'd feel like we're not that pretentious about it. Our top ten says otherwise. Look, it is what it is. It's all it's all number four. It's all, all number three now. <laughs> Everything is number three. I love watching her do this every week where she's trying to edit the ranking list and then something inevitably goes wrong. <laughs> I always hold alt instead of control. That's the problem. Um, okay, so our new number 10. Um, Operation Doomsday by MF Doom is number 10. Uh, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement is number 9. Superstition by Susie and the Banshees is number 8. 
Spooky by Lush is number seven. Very by the Pet Shop Boys is number six. The Philosophy of Momus by Momus is number five. 69 Love Songs by the Magnetic Fields is our new number four. Liberation by the Divine Comedy is number three. Uh, Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields is number two. And Nonsuch by HCC is still the untouchable number one. If you want to see our entire list of rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. If you want to listen to every episode of the podcast and both of our playlists, you can go to Spotify and search for nr1990s. 2020 and 2021. There are two separate playlists identified by those years. And 69 Love Songs is not on them. No, I made the conscious choice to not put it on there <laughs> because our playlist was heckin' long from last year and I couldn't justify adding 69 songs. But we will start over this, this next week. And what uh, what are you adding to that playlist next week? I am pulling up the playlist so I can tell you because I should have <laughs> had it pulled up before. I have no idea what I'm adding to the playlist next week. So oh, I've got to think of something real fast. Good job. I'm doing a Serpentine Gallery by Switchblade Symphony. Oh, cool, cool. I, that's a cheesy goth album that I like. It's very, yeah, it is, it's right there. It is what I'm in the mood for. I was going to do Hippopotamomus, but I think I need to wait another week on that, at least. Oh, but I want to listen to it. Hip, 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 <laughs> Hippopotamomus. That's, th- then our top ten list gets real wanky. Um, hip, hip, hip. <laughs> Let's just, let's just, you know what? Let's commit. 2021 no. is the year that we just commit to being wankers. No, give me a second. Um, uh, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do uh, Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt. Just pulled that one out of my what? ass. What? What? Yeah. Can't get less like Switchblade Symphony than that. No. In fact, that Switchblade Symphony would eat that album. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're. Doing that whole thing that I didn't think you would do. I thought I would be the one to pull this album out because <laughs> she fucking hates No Doubt. I don't hate that album. I hate everything else they ever did. <laughs> I hate their first album and I hate... <laughs> Actually, you know what? I may not hate the first album as much now, but the first time I heard it, man, did I fucking hate it. This this album is a is one of the little sense memories that is just like so uniquely tied to living in Dallas yeah, I mean mid mid nineties alternative is your your Dallas memory generator. So it, yeah, very much is. But yeah, I'm looking forward to next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Switchblade Symphony. It's a good album. <laughs> All right, well we're gonna get out of here then. Um, I am at least getting our old dishwasher out tonight. I don't know if I'll get the new one in. Godspeed. But... All right, well see you next week.